Hey, welcome everybody. You are listening to the Best Business in the World podcast with Matt Fitzsimmons and I'm Sturdy McKee. Today we're going to talk about the right people on your team and we're going to go a couple of different directions with this. So strap in, buckle up. Here we go. Matt, welcome. That was this is a really interesting topic because just before we play we, we press play or record on this particular podcast, we were talking about people earning absurd amounts of money. And and isn't it an interesting topic when you actually explore talent and getting the right talent on your team? It's just it's amazing to see context. We were talking about basketball salaries, right? And and it wasn't yeah. Steph Curry was gonna earn like half a billion dollars. Yeah, his contract's up in like three more years, and he his lifetime earnings at the end of that will be $470 million. And that's not sponsorships or any of the other stuff, right? That's just his NBA contract. Isn't that just so, amazing? Yeah, like, and, and now we're going to lead in and tell you that people don't work for money. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, anyway. exactly. Well, what, you, know, what, you know what's really interesting? Um, I saw an interview with Stephen Adams, who's a New Zealand basketballer playing in the NBA. And um, so so as a, as a Kiwi, he's the guy that we follow, right? And so there was an interview with him, and he was talking about the guys on his team who are the ones that get the most respect, um, are liked amongst their teammates, and, and perform the well. And Stephen's phrase that he used is, are these guys good locker room guys? And what he meant by that was, are these guys the sort of guys you can have a laugh with, will be supportive, will be the right guy to have in the locker room? Not out there in the flashy lights, under the under the bright lights and on, on game night, but all the guys who've got your back in the locker room. And that wasn't about money. That was about who they are as people and, and mm-hmm. putting everything else aside, how much of a team player they are. Because after all, basketball, despite there being stars in most teams, is still a team sport. And doesn't matter how good you are, if you're... Not, don't have a supportive team around you, then all your talent counts for nothing. Well, and that's been a that's especially been interesting in the NBA, right? Because for years and years, the there's been the glorification of the superstar surrounded by people, you know, who are going to support that person. So, um, you know, and and it, and it worked in a lot of cases, at least for a while. But you can see examples, and I won't name names, team names. But you can see examples where the definite superstars kind of, you know, running the show and the supporting cast. And it's just not clicking. Yeah. It's not working. You know, the results aren't, aren't really there. And I like what you're saying, because we, uh, we looked up Steve Adams. I didn't really know who he is, but um, he's, you know, he's a, a, a good player, a solid player, uh, I think comes in off the bench, but he's playing with the Grizzlies and John Morant, you know, on a very, on a winning team. I, th- I think when we're recording this, the Grizzlies are 46 and 27 or something, right? So they're they're doing really well. They're going to be a playoff contender and team. And I don't, you know, that whole fit and the way I think about it is values and vision and culture around that. The the fit with those things is mm. absolutely huge when you want to have a team that wins and a yeah. team that where you you want to show up to work, right? Because for them it's work. Of course, yeah. Yeah, I, I just found out that these guys are employees. It was just like, okay. I never really thought of a guy being an employee earning like half a billion dollars. Sure. Yeah, yeah. They're employees. They're covered by work comp. Okay. Yeah. So the insurance for the Americans listening. Yeah, it's it's kind of wild. So, you know, but they're also taxed at, as a W-2 employee. So they've got to put their of money course. aside and do other things with it. You know, it's not the most yeah. uh, friendly, well, 
especially Most if you poor, live in New York or California guys. or somewhere. Well, I don't know how they survive. I mean, like if I had to pay tax <laughs> on half a billion, I mean, I, I, I don't know how I'd do it. <laughs> going, well, we look- going back to talent, going back to talent as, as a subject, I think is, is really, really interesting because you see all these guys and they are amazingly talented, but what's your definition of talent? Well, there are a bunch of them, and this is the problem with say with labeling anything with one word, right? Because mm. talent can mean people, it can mean potential, it can mean you know what skills they currently possess. It can mean all kinds of things. So um, I really like the way you look at it, though, Matt, with the kind of the aptitude or the potential. Um, and you know, I, you'll bring up that drawing or those drawings, but the, that the the idea of the vessel, I think, is a good yeah. way to think about you know potential. Um, so I'll let you riff on that for a minute. Well, I think that, you know, if you're an employer, sure, we can look at NBA stars and and and, and sports stars, but they are the 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 extreme of, of talent, right? So they are the outliers. These aren't people mm-hmm. that normally come into contact with in our normal business lives. So so is, if you're a business owner, cool, the concept of talent is great. I mean we'd all love to hire a Stephen Curry for for our for our business, but Stephen Curry's are the point zero 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 one percent. Steph Curry, Matt. Steph Curry, Stephen Curry. Oh, Steph Curry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, I, I won't try to pronounce any rugby player's name. <laughs> I follow rugby. You know what can I say? Um, but um, if you if you want a, a, a way maybe of of thinking about talent for a normal everyday business that's not hiring the point zero something one percent, then this might be a helpful way of looking at it. And um, I'll just draw a picture here. So just bear with for a second. Um, and this is how I've always had talent explained and how I've ex- uh, explained to people. So imagine you've got a vessel, okay? So let's, let's say you've got a vessel and it's a shot glass, right? So your vessel in the first instance is a shot glass. Then you've got yourself a normal size glass and then you've got yourself a big jug, right? So talent is just the size of the vessel. That's all it is. And on top of the vessel, you've got to fill it up. So if you look at my ability when it comes to golf, we're going to start down this end because this is, Matt, golf. So my hand-eye coordination, not the best in the world, I have to say. So I can spend the rest of my life playing golf, and the amount of water that goes in there would just be just a little bit off the bottom. And that would be why I would never be able to play a decent round of golf in my entire life. Unless like, you know, actually, no, there's no unless I just couldn't do it. Okay. Well, and, so and golf, even if you filled it up, right. As you're drawing this, think of the shot glass. Even if you filled it up, you've still got a shot glass. Exactly. So even there, so the, 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 the water in here, that's the, the ability water. that I have to play a decent round of golf. So it doesn't matter how I, how good I get. I can't play a decent round of golf to save my life. So me not being the dumbest person in the entire world figures that golf is not my sport. So I don't play golf for a very, very good reason. But let's look at somebody like, um, let's go Michael Jordan. Um, So Michael Jordan, when it comes to basketball, he was born with amazing hand-eye ability and he spent his life filling that up with experiences and skill and practice and 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 all those sort of things so his act, his attitude allowed him to fill that up to overflowing as far as that goes so his performance in other words represented by the amount of fluid in his vessel was was massive 
And he filled that up with practice and aptitude and um, attitude and, and all that sort of stuff. And so he spent a lifetime getting better and better and better. And he was he is one of, and debatably the best basketballer of all time. I'm not going to say that because I don't really follow it, but I know oh. he was like up there. But so sure. that's him And that's but me. He, right. So Matt's a shot glass. And the thing about Jordan is he was working with, you know, a 55-gallon drum. So, um, mm. you know, not even a pitcher, right? Because we're talking about Michael Jordan. Yeah. So, but, you know, if you, I, I love this analogy though, because we kind of think of it as the potential. So where Matt's saying talent, I think of the potential, the, you know, the aptitude perhaps that they possess, but there's got to be an attitude that goes along with it that they want desperately to fill it. They want to be the best they can possibly be in that. Right. Yeah. And for Matt, like, you don't want to be the best you can be at golf. It's not a great, you know, doesn't give you a spark or whatever, right? It's not, not what it you're It wouldn't be a about. good use of my time. No, it would not be a good use of my time at all. Well, and even if you, and I mean, and there's some things, right? This is our hobbies. You can be a really bad painter and still love painting, right? It's just that you're probably not going to sell them for thousands of dollars or something. But, uh, you know, when we're talking about our what we do for our living and building our businesses, we don't want to hire really bad painters, right? Mm -hmm. To that don't have the aptitude, but also, even if they have the aptitude, we've got to choose them for the attitude. Mm. Yeah, hundred percent. And and so the challenge for a, a person who's looking at recruiting and getting a team of of uh, getting getting a winning team is how can I spot as many people with the big vessels and not be fooled and and, and get the people with the small vessels. Um, and there's a bunch of tools that you can use. You know, you can you know when you're recruiting, you can go through profiling and uh, and that type of thing. Those are all the standard tools we use. But um, um, I'm a great believer that if you if you see talent, then you have to be able to pick it apart and identify what makes it actually good at what it does. So if you're a Sparky, okay, some Sparkies are better than others. Why the is sparky. that? Well, uh, an el electrician. Okay, <laughs> thanks. Uh, translate so, to the North American crowd. We don't, we don't know. I don't. So um, there'll be some things that you see that may, maybe they're more pedantic. Maybe they're more careful. Maybe they're um, they're more um, uh, more pedantic about the way the way they do things. Maybe they label things. There'll be a bunch of things that makes a good Sparky over one that's least talented. I love that you. I love that you use an electrician because you're making me think about growing up. We basically banned my father from doing anything electrical. <laughs> Right, because he would he would shock himself on a ladder, or things would start to smoke, or you know, it was just like, no, you're not allowed to touch that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Too. <laughs> right. You know, the funny thing is, so in the United States, you have 110 volts, right? And <laughs> right. Uh, we we have 240 volts here in New Zealand. So if you get bitten by Alec here, it's way different than being bitten by Alec in, in the United States and in other countries with 110 volts. So the, the the room for getting things wrong in a lot of countries is very, very small. So I totally get what you mean about banning your father because we, we're not allowed to touch electrical stuff in this country because if you get it wrong and you get bitten by Alec, then you're probably dead. So yeah, I'm glad you live in the States with 110 and not 240, mate. Yeah, yeah, but I, I still remember, yeah, it wasn't allowed. I had to do stuff. Um, or, you know, hire it out and stuff now. But um, yeah, so 
let's go back for a second. Um, choosing people and assessing their skill set and talent. So I learned this years and years ago from Bruce Top. Bruce is actually the husband of the director of physical therapy program at UCSF, where I went to school way back. Um, but mm -hmm. Bruce was running the hiring process for uh, police and firefighters in Oakland, if I have that right. I know it was the firefighters uh, for yeah. the city of Oakland. And it was at a conference. He was speaking at like some ungodly hour, 7 a.m. or something on a Sunday morning at a conference, right? And I rolled out of bed and showed up because he was my director's husband and I felt that, you know, I should, she had been my academic advisor actually. So, I, you know, loyalty to, to them and uh, showed up. But the one thing that I learned from him that was so valuable that I use to this day, and that was 20 plus years ago, was a task assessment. And he showed what they do with the firefighters, right? So here in, in San Francisco, Oakland, and I assume most of California, they put firefighters, potential firefighter, firefighter candidates in a um, basically an obstacle course where they have to do different things. They have to lift a ladder above their head. They have to drag, um, you know, a, a dummy, but a, a life-size, you know, weighted dummy uh, across a certain distance. They have to clear a wall with all their gear on. They have to carry a hose up a tower, up the stairs, you know, um, 50, 60 feet up and back down without running in a certain, and they have to do it all within a certain time period and all that, right, with all their gear on and all in order to qualify to be a firefighter because people's lives depend on it, right? That's, and, and theirs. So, um, but he brought this up and he, since he was familiar with like the PT world, the physio world, right, he said, you guys need to interview people and you do an interview, you do your first interview for who they are. And then you do a task assessment and a task assessment is like the obvious assessment for a clinician is evaluate a patient. Right. And, it, and, and that was, you know, that was an aha moment. Like, Oh, well, yeah, of course we should be doing that. Why are we not doing that? Why, you know, nobody's ever done that when I've been hired or whatever. It's like, why is this not standard practice? Um, but the other thing he said that was so interesting to me was like they will be on their best behavior. They will be performing for the first 10 minutes. Yes, they will. Yes. But after 10 minutes, it's like they can't, most people can't sustain it. They mm -hmm. will fall into their normal routines and habits. And you will see who they actually are. Right. Which, by the way, we used to do this in my business and say, hey, you great. We love you in the first interview. We're going to ask you back. This is how the next steps go. Um, we started telling people and prepping them before, you know, earlier, earlier in the process of the whole process uh, as we evolved and, you know, went down the road. But I cannot tell you how many people got spooked by the idea that they would need to evaluate a patient in front of a couple of our staff. Yeah. And I can totally imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. But if you get, so that was actually another good indicator. I had, I had, you know, team members along the way, you're like, maybe we shouldn't do it that way. Maybe we shouldn't do it. They're embarrassed. Like, that is the most important thing they do in the job. If they're, if they're afraid to get on stage in front of us and do it, they probably aren't going to succeed here. Mm. Yeah. You know? Isn't it funny? Because when you're recruiting people, there's a couple of tips and tricks. And you're absolutely right. After 10 minutes, the, the tile fall off, right? yeah. off a little bit, you know? Um, I used to do this. Um, used to do this thing when I was interviewing people. Um, 
Um, well, I, I, to be fair, I still do it. Um, I take people for a coffee before the interview. And so I used to live, sorry, um, I, I used to work in a place and it was about 150 meters down the road. There was a really good coffee shop. And I'd say, and this was all, by the way, part of the, uh, of the, part of the uh, plan. process and part of the plan. This was yeah. planned. And I go down there and say, hey, listen, I've had a long day. Would you mind if we just walk down the road? I'll get you a coffee. I just need a coffee because, you know, um, um, I just need a coffee right now. And I go, yeah, sure, no problem. And I'd walk down and I'd start off by having a conversation. Hey, um, how was your weekend? What did you get up to? What do you do? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they never thought it was part of the recruitment process and part of the interview. They didn't right. think that. They just thought, no, no, I expect to be in a room. It's it's closed off in front of a Formal. person formal all that sort of thing that's my yeah. chance to sit up straight straighten my tie and go wow i'm the right guy for the job not walking down the road having a coffee talking about what they got up to at the weekend i found out often so much more by taking a 10 minute walk down the road to get a coffee than i would find out in a, a in a um formal interview situation where they're on their best and very much controlled behavior mm-hmm. because i think that's not part of it and I remember some of the stuff that came out would never have come out in a job interview because it's just two people going for a walk down the road getting a coffee. It's not it's not threatening. It's not challenging. It's not formal. It's very, very casual, relaxed. I don't, generally speaking, talk about work in, unless there is something that I want to uh, dig a little bit into. It's, it's I'm, What I'm after is an understanding about who they are as a person. And it's very, very um, revealing when you're just going for a walk down the road. So that's one. And, and also, um, I used to do this, well, I'd still do this thing called the cruncher. And if you ever want to see what people are like under stress, this is an amazing tool to really t- take the covers off and see what people are like under stress. So in a, in a job um, that has to be of a certain level, because you have to deal with a certain level of intellect to be able to throw this on the table and see what happens. So often you want to find out what people are going to be like when they are... Uh, under pressure, under stress. In a job interview, they're normally putting pressure on themselves because they obviously they're there, they, they want the job, they're, you know, they're keen to do it. And so I would do a thing called the cruncher. So the cruncher is where I ask a question that is confronting. And the whole purpose of the question is, I don't care about what the answer is. I only care about how you deal with it. So if I was sitting in front of someone, I would maybe pick on something that they wore. So if they dressed casually for an interview, I'd sit there and go, well, hey, um, you know, um, how seriously do you actually take this interview? Look at the way you're dressed. What is it? What is that saying to me about how seriously you take the interview? Now, I could be. Uh, the whole point is, I'm asking something that's absolutely confronting, and I have been sworn at. I have been abused. I've been <laughs> argued with, and all that. Which is all I'm doing is putting people under pressure. And I've also had people sit there and go, "Oh." I'm really sorry. I thought I dressed appropriately. I've been working all day or whatever. And some people just take it completely in stride and other people just lost their heads. And then I would explain the purpose of the question because I wouldn't leave them hanging without understanding what the question was actually about because that would be mean. And I'd say, well, the whole purpose of the question was, no, I don't care about what you're wearing. <laughs> there's, there's perfectly good reasons for, 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 for that. What I care about is what you're like under pressure. And I saw then in that moment what you're going to be like when you're challenged about anything because here you are in a job interview on your best behavior and you were challenged about one small insignificant thing and you didn't think it through. 
So how can I be confident that you're going to think it through when push comes to shove in a different context? And often I would just choose the, choose the dress that uh, people were wearing. Um, sometimes it can be uh, other things, but generally speaking, it's just a point where I can go, oi, what do you like under pressure? Um, and, and so when you when you have a person who's at, at one with themselves and comfortable doing the job, they will most likely sit there and go, oh, I'm sorry, mate. This is this is just how I wore this today. I was I've been working all day, or whatever, and they'll just be cool, calm, and collected. And it's, it's just another question. And yet, other people, the, <laughs> the facade falls down, and all of a sudden, you see what they're like. And um, yeah. it's been, it's it's a really cool technique. You have to explain what you've just done straight afterwards to be fair to the candidate. Um, right. But you'll be amazed the information that you can get out of people by just doing that one thing. It's 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 a great way of getting a picture of who they are and and hopefully getting a picture of what talent looks like in your business. Yeah. So I, I really let's take both of those. The first one, um, if you're in a situation where you don't have a coffee shop, you know, right down the road or something like that, walk them out to the car. Do whatever you know. Um, we used to do that and. Also making the interview itself as conversational as possible or putting them in a an environment where they'll be more relaxed. So like in the physio world, you would take uh, PG candidates into a treatment room, not in the boardroom, not in the conference room, right? They're not comfortable in the conference room. They're not, they don't want to sit across the desk from somebody, but if they're in a treatment room, those kinds of places where they're really familiar and that it's their, their quote unquote home turf, Right, they'll be more forthcoming. They'll be more relaxed, and you can make things conversational, not necessarily going bullet by bullet or question by question, but asking follow-ups and you know get them to relax a little bit because you really want to find out for both of you. It's not being manipulative. We're not trying to catch people out. And I was thinking about that. You know, when you're walking down to the coffee shop and back and just having a conversation, what's revealing isn't always necessarily bad. Oh no, Some, no, absolutely not. Right. You, you, you can find out really good things about people too, really positive stuff that might not have come out with your kind of standard questions and all. So, um, yeah, we used to, it was part of our process to walk them out, right. Mm. And, and talk to them, whether they were going to catch the bus or go get in their car or whatever, but walk them outside in their mind, same idea, Matt, the interview's over. They let yeah. their guard down, they relax and you start chatting and, you know, they will share things with you, which is really powerful, you know, both both directions. Um, the other one kind of, we did a little bit different version. Um, you know, I mentioned that task assessment for the physios, right? It used to be that we were assessing their skill set and what they were doing. And, and we got to the point where we were kind of looking at not necessarily qualifying them based on that, but looking at how many, how, how much work we would have to do, how much work we would have to put in to get them to the level we needed them and we wanted them to be at, right? So whether that was, you know, it's going to take X number of resources, it's going to take X amount of time, are we willing to invest that in them? Where we got, where I like your cruncher idea, although, you know, I, I wouldn't do it that way because I would elicit a different response. They would sure. try to punch me or something um, just because of my affect. Got to be a little self-aware with these things too. Um, <laughs> but we got to the point where, you know, a lot of the folks who came that wanted to work with us wanted to learn. It was the continuing education. It was the mentorship program. It was the residency program. It was the, you know, all these things about learning and growth and professional growth and personal growth and whatever. So at the end of that task assessment, we got to the point where we would stop 
confer because there are always two two of us, right? Yeah. Um, but confer for a moment and then give them feedback. Were you to come work here, these are the things we would want you to work on. Have you ever considered doing it this way? Why did you not do that? Okay, yeah. and the reason for that was very similar to your your question. We had previously hired, we had been afraid to confront them. We'd been afraid to tell them, right? We got the assessment and, and they, well, they said they wanted to learn. They said they wanted mentorship. And then when, once we hired them, it went terribly wrong because they were not receptive, mm. right? They were not open to feedback. They didn't really want constructive criticism. They didn't want to get better. They thought they were fine. They just, you know, that's what you're supposed to say. So by giving that feedback and going, you know, I liked your clinical decision-making here, whatever, but patient rapport, handling skill, whatever those things were, like we would really want to work on those as at the initial part of, you know, your mentorship program and process, you'd be assigned as person and watch their reaction and ask them, like literally ask them. So what did you think about the feedback? Mm. You know, and that we, we got responses, you know, all over the map, you know, We've got a couple of kind of, kind of, how dare you? <laughs> I, like, I can imagine you would. Yeah, Dude, yeah. you're going to work here. How dare we? You're going to take and, care and, of and our the, patients. Totally. And the generic answer is, yes, I'm totally open for professional development and all that sort of thing. That's that's the standard well, answer. Test it. But exactly. You, you get the opportunity to actually test it and go, <laughs> right, I'm going to give you some feedback. And you can watch them cringe and go, ooh, I can just imagine. <laughs> right. really the body language, stuff. the yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and, and there are even some people who are really good at acting, right? They're like, oh, yeah, well, thank you. That was great. But they hated it. And mm. guess what? They're not going to accept your offer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And that's also okay. Isn't that funny? Because if you look at the great managers in sports, um, and, and maybe less so these days because they probably delegate some of this, but the great managers and the great leaders in sports um, and coaches and, and that sort of thing, and we often talk about becoming a coach um, for our teams, um, they have the ability to spot and develop talent. That's like that's the, their greatest superpower is the ability to spot and develop talent. Because if you can get the right people on your team and you can develop them in the way that you want to, then that's your team. I mean, look at look at what coaches do. They they, they spot and develop talent. What what should managers be spending their time doing? Spot and developing talent. There's one more thing though, Matt, that most people don't realize, and we're kind of going through have been learning a lot about the college recruitment process and stuff um you know my older son plays baseball and really wants to continue to play and the little one plays soccer and at a high level and wants to he will want to continue to play wherever so we're kind of learning about this the other thing that most people don't realize is the coaches that identify and see it and are interested they call up the current coaches Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, doing, re- doing reference checks, actually doing reference checks. Yeah. And, and that's right. So when you say, what can a manager do? You can do reference checks, right? There's a, a magic way to do it. There's some secrets that I tell my clients that really get real answers and open it up. Um, yeah. But that whole idea of they call, and by the way, like in the, in the coaching recruiting world too, they don't just ask about the athlete, mm. right? They ask about the family. <laughs> because sometimes sometimes the athlete's great the family's a nightmare right and they want to know that and they'll talk to all the coaches right they won't just take one and that's part of the reason for playing club and high school and all that stuff because when they talk to to several of them 
right? The high school coach may have dealt with them for one year or two years, and they might have a certain perspective. And somebody yeah. else may have worked with them since they were nine years old, you know, mm. and, and again, all about connections and who they are and, and stuff too. Mm. But anyway, check your references. So hopefully we've given um, our podcast listeners something to go away and have a think about. Um, but I certainly believe that if you have the ability to spot and develop talent, um, then and and obviously back it up and you know do do reference checks and all that sort of good stuff. That's that's all part of it. But if there was a superpower that I would wish for as, a, as the owner of a business, it would be that. Um, and and yeah, by a country mile, that would be it. Um, it's well, not. A, it's it's well, it's 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 not something that comes without practice. It's like just like just like any athlete you get better at it by getting it wrong sometimes and then getting it right more often than that and and it's it's it has to be your superpower so yeah you can learn to play basketball like Steph Curry or if you're the manager learn to recruit people like Steph Curry's coach mm-hmm. well and it's interesting you said that because that's literally I just watched something by Alex Ramosi yesterday and that's literally what he said that that's the thing we do best is yeah. we attract we recruit find and hire the you know the best people and that's you know that that's of all the things we do that's been the most critical thing to our success like awesome um so that just you know validates reinforces i would absolutely agree with you it is a learned skill set you can get better at it if you're stuck and don't know where to start reach out to us you know matt and i both teach and create the processes around this there is a process and maybe next time i'm just going to bring us up while we're still on here we talked a lot about kind of sussing it out what i what we might want to do next time is talk about attracting those people in the first place because attracting you, talent that's a great subject yeah because because if we don't have a pipeline of folks there might be some people listening who are kind of like well yeah that's all great but i don't even have a candidate right mm, so yeah. we got to be able to generate especially nowadays the playing field has changed and if you're still Isn't posting the old job postings and all the rest of it they ain't calling you yeah so yeah. Cool. That's a great next podcast, mate. All right. Well, let's uh, thank thank you everybody for listening. We really appreciate you. And uh, till next time. Thanks for coming.